Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, you might be asking yourself right now, how did that dude get up there? And I'm kind of wondering the same thing. But in all seriousness, uh, we're family, right? I can say that Pastor Jeremy introduced me as a brother in Christ, and we're family. We just talked about that at Zero Gravity, which is what I do. I'm a missionary, and you guys support me. And, and that's one of the things that I do is I get to meet with kids all week long, and we get to open up the Word, and we get to talk about it. And we talked about this week how we're adopted. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and that Jesus has adopted us into his family, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ. So we're family, right? We're family. So I'm going to start out this morning, and I'm going to talk a little bit, just introduce you to a couple of our family members here at first, because there's some exciting things that are going on that I think you guys need to hear about, you guys need to know about. I get to be a part of seven Bible studies throughout the week. Isn't it crazy? All the way from elementary through middle school right now, and I'm really hoping that in the near future I'll be able to join some of the high school Bible studies, but seven throughout the week. And so this week I went to Creekside's Bible study. It's the first time that I've been there, and some funny things happened. We got locked out of the room that we were supposed to be in, and we had to move to another room, and it took a little bit of time. But anyway, my friend Jake, he's a youth pastor down the road at Haven, and he's talking about uh, Lent, and he's asking the kids all about Lent, and honestly, I'm learning because I don't do a whole lot with Lent, and I don't know a whole lot about Lent, and I don't put ash on my forehead, and so kids are talking about Lent, and all of a sudden, I look, and Joseph and Julia Till they're like leading the Bible study. I just want you guys to see that. Some of our own students here are leading our Bible study. And then Jake says, hey, let's circle up and let's pray for each other. And Joseph and Julia, they're like, hey, my mom's having surgery, and they're, and they're leading again, you know. And so we circle up. We got this round circle, and, and uh, Jake says, hey, who wants to open with prayer? And the kid right next to me says, I'll open with prayer. And then he says, who wants to close with prayer? And the kid right next to him over here says, I'll close with prayer. And so the kid opens with prayer, and he starts. And he gets done, and all of a sudden, get this poke in my, my shoulder, which I now realize is the international signal of, you're up. It's your turn to pray. Okay? So then I start praying, and it kind of goes around the circle. And kids are praying for, hey, give me this, give me that. Help me with this, help me with that. And then all of a sudden, there's this kid, and he starts praying differently. And it's crazy, and he's like, God, thanks for bringing these adults here who are willing to invest into my life. And he's on a different level. And literally, it's like he's praying down fire from heaven. He's, got, he's just so in tune with God. And forgive me for doing this, but I opened up my eyes and I leaned into the circle. And it's Bryson Ward. And I'm like, that's, that's one of our kids. That's one of our kids from our church. And he's like leading the prayer. He is on a different level in prayer. And then I go to our clubs. And I go to Tuesday. And I go to Thursday, and I got this eighth grader that's like, dude, I just want to volunteer. I want to come, and I want to help. And his name's Dominic Overway. And he comes, and every week he's either got, he's got like cards that he's got, or he's got uh, a Rubik's Cube, or he's got this uh, picture book that he's drawing in. And I get done with a Bible lesson, and I look over, and there's like 10 kids circled around Dominic, and he's like showing them how to do the Rubik's Cube. And he tried to show me, and Again, forgive me, but I just wanted to take the thing and chuck it across the room because it's like, <laughs> literally, he does it in 50 seconds, Dominic. You've got it down to like 50 seconds. And it's like, 
Sorry. Right? But he's got kids circled around him, and he's volunteering, and that's awesome. And I come to church here, and we've got this. We've got, uh, you know, the Pustai girls that are up here, and they're playing their instruments, and they're singing, and they're leading us in worship. And my own daughter is here. She's leading me in worship. And I've got another sixth grader that shows up. My daughter shows up to volunteer at our clubs. And I'm like, this is our kids. This is our family. This is us. And it makes me feel so good because I can know that we can hand off the baton to the next generation and we're going to be in good hands. We've got some kids that are coming up and they're willing to lead. I just wanted to share that with you. We're family. We should know what the family's doing, what we're up to. Mom, dad, be encouraged. Your kids are knocking it out of the park. If you're involved in their lives, if you've been their Sunday school teacher, if you're their youth pastor, if you're one of their pastors, well done. They're doing well. They're out in the community. They're doing a great job. They're leading their classmates closer to Jesus, and I think that's an awesome thing. All right, story time. Give me this, just a second here, okay? Picture this. If you need to close your eyes to follow along with me, I need you to picture this. It's a warm, sunny summer day. I know it's pretty nice outside, but it's like 82 degrees, slight breeze, and there's a nine-year-old version of me running around in the backyard. I'm just hanging out, I'm playing, I'm having a good time. My brother and his friend Shane are two doors down in Shane's backyard, and they wander their way over to me, and they say, hey, Kevin, we got a game. We want to challenge you, okay? Shane and I, we've got a couple of hammers in the back of Shane's yard, and we'd like to time you to see how fast you can go get those hammers. And we promise you they're not hidden. They're easy to find. You'll be able to see them, and you can go get them. Well, what nine-year-old boy doesn't want to accept that challenge, right? So I get on the starting line, which is the property line between us and the neighbors, and I just got to run through the neighbor's yard to get to Shane's backyard. And they say, ready, set, go. And I take off, and I get through my neighbor's yard, and I get into Shane's backyard, and just as promised, I can see the hammers. They're just sitting right next to each other. Like, who puts two hammers right next to each other? You're going to make this a challenge. Why is it so easy? They're right there next to each other. And as I hover over the hammers and I bend over to pick them up, I feel this burning sensation in my leg, and I feel it again and again and again and again and again and again. And I turn around and I run back and I'm like, bees, bees, guys, bees, 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 right? And I get to the backyard and I sit on the swing. My mom and dad had this nice big swing in the back under the porch and I counted one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times I got stung by a bee. See, my brother didn't tell me but they had found a bee's nest in Shane's backyard, and they were aggravating it by throwing hammers, and they didn't want to go pick up the hammers, so they asked me to go get them, okay? Right? That's my brother for you. That's the brother that I have. And so right now, you're probably asking yourself, what does that have to do with this message this morning? Absolutely nothing, okay? <laughs> but yet, absolutely everything. Because eight weeks ago, when Pastor Jeremy sent me an email, and he said, hey, would you be willing to teach on James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12? I instantly flipped open my Bible, and I read it, and I got done, and I said, I'd rather be in Shane's backyard <laughs> picking up hammers than have to bring this message this morning to my family, okay? It's a little bit heavy, but I'm going to try and lighten it up a little bit. I'm going to try and have some good points for you. So hang with me. Bear with me. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. We'll get there in just a minute, but there's a couple of things that I think are very important for us to understand about James before we understand, before we can look at James through the correct lenses. Okay, we've talked a little bit about who James is, but I want to share a little bit more. 
And we start out and we understand through Scripture that James was an unbeliever. James did not even believe that his brother Jesus, his half-brother, was the Messiah. For we see in the book of John, chapter 7, verse 5, it says, even Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him. And then we see in the book of Mark, chapter 3, verse 21, it says, his family heard this, so they went to take charge of him. They said, he is out of his mind. So literally, James is walking through the village, through the town, through the city of Jerusalem, and he's with his friends. And his friends look over and they say, hey, on the front porch over there, that rocker, you see that rocker? Didn't your dad and your brother build that rocker? And James is like, yeah. Jesus built that rocker and he fell out of it too. Jesus fell out of his rocker. That's what James thinks of his brother. Thinks he's crazy, lost his mind. Well, obviously, James is the author of this book, so we know that there's an aha moment, a moment where he realizes that Jesus is the true Messiah, and he becomes a believer. So we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 5 through 7, Paul writes this. After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it says, Jesus, okay, and he appeared to James first. No, he appeared to Cephas, Peter. Then to James. No, then to the 12. Then to James, right? No, then he appeared to more than 500 at one time. I don't know if you look on your Facebook page, but I couldn't tell you who my 513th best friend is, right? But Jesus, more than 500 people he's appeared to, and he hasn't appeared to James yet. But after appearing to the 500, it says, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the disciples. Imagine what that meeting is like. James, an unbeliever, sees the resurrected Jesus and goes, I got it. I got it. Why do I take time this morning to tell this little bit about James? Because James needed the resurrection. He needed to see the resurrected Jesus before he could believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And I know that there's at least one. There's someone, if not someones, who has been crying out to God because they've got a wayward son, a wayward daughter, brother, sister, mother, father, neighbor, cousin, co-worker, somebody that they love, and they just wish that they could surrender their lives to Jesus. And I'm telling you, Jesus can relate. He lived with James. He ate with James. He slept in the same room as his own brother who thought he fell off his rocker. And just like James needed the resurrected Jesus before he could believe, so do those that we care about. And we can be the resurrected Jesus. We also know that Jesus told the disciples and the apostles, he said, stay here in Jerusalem, wait for the, help, for the helper to come. Wait for the Holy Spirit to arrive. And we know that at Pentecost, Peter got up and shared a phenomenal message, just this greatest message ever, right? And the Holy Spirit just hovered amongst those people there. And it says that roughly 3,000 were added to the body that day. And the disciples realized and they knew, hey, this is the helper that Jesus had been promising that he talked about. And they went and they carried on the great commission. They left. They went, I'll go this way. You go that way. You go here. I'll go there. 
we'll go this way. And they scattered. They left Jerusalem. And there are 3,000 new believers that are left there. And there's a small group of, of previous believers before that. And they're gathering. We have the first church. And who becomes the pastor of the first church? James. Jesus entrusted the first church to James. And do I dare say not just the first church, but the first mega church? Like he's got like 3,000 new young believers that he's entrusted with. And then the last thing is we must realize, I realize, especially here in James 4, 1 through 12, that James has to be the son of a carpenter. Just has to be. I can see it in his, in his writing there because where else would he get the two by four he's about to beat us over the head with, right? Okay? Okay? And trust me, I've had eight weeks to study this and to go over this, and he's going to swipe us on the left, and then he's going to come back and swipe us on the right, and then he's going to come over the head, and it's going to knock us to our knees, which is right where God wants us. Okay? Just realize that. So don't duck when they come. Don't try and miss the two-by-four as he swings it. Take it, because it's going to end us right where God wants us to be. All right. Are you guys ready? I'm not. Okay? So let's pray. And that way God can prepare me and he can prepare you to hear the words from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Oh, Lord, just thank you that uh, I get the opportunity to come here and to open up your word and to share it with my family, with the fellow uh, believers here at First Baptist. I just thank you for that. Father, I pray that, uh, that the words that I would say would not be mine, but they would be yours. And as we get them from James, as James has been inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things. And, and as I just share them with each and every one here, may it be your words. May it be honoring to you. Uh, may I just please you with everything uh, that I've got. Be with us. We love you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, James, chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, your desires and do not have, so you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to the purpose of the Scripture says... He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, 
but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? I want to start out this morning. I'm going to break this down into three, maybe, probably three, uh, chunks of Scripture here. Uh, I'm going to start with James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 to start with. What causes quarrels and what causes fights amongst you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. In other words, what the Greek word there is, is warring within you. Okay, it's not just this battle, just boom, 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 this little fight that's going on. There's this actual battle, there's this war inside of us, and it's the pleasures that are causing it. And what are the pleasures? And when we see someone being blessed with something, we start out and we go, I'd like to have that too. I'd like that. I'd like to be blessed with that. And then it kind of moves into, I want that. I want it. And then it moves into, I've earned it. I think I've earned that. Which leads to, I deserve it. I should have that. I deserve it. And Paul puts it this way in Romans 7, verse 3, but I see another law working in parts of my body. It fights against the law of my mind. It makes me a prisoner of the law of sin. In other words, it's one part of my body fighting against the other. If my right hand is trying to build something, my left hand is trying to destroy it. My mind and my heart are not working together. They're working against each other for my passions, for my desires. That type of thinking can lead us to believe that God is not fair. Why does God bless other people and give them things he does not give to me? Examples. We want him to bless our business. Say, man, you've blessed them. I work harder than they do. I've got a better personality than them. Bless my business. I want the bigger house, the better car, the finer things in life, health, family, and the list can go on and on and on and on. Matt Chandler, pastor of the Village Church, says it this way. When you don't get, you get entitled and you start to feel contempt towards those who are being blessed or like you think you should be blessed. And that contempt gets pointed towards God because how dare God not give you the things you deserve? This contempt leads us to bailing on God because you don't want Jesus. You want his stuff. I'm going to read that again. This is Matt Chandler's words. When you don't get, you get entitled, and you start to feel contempt towards those who are being blessed or like you think you should be blessed, and that contempt gets pointed towards God because how dare God not give you the things you deserve? This contempt leads to bailing on God because you don't want Jesus, you want his stuff. Case in point, check your prayer life. Notice I didn't say check to see if you have a prayer life. Check your prayer life. Are you spending more time asking God to give you? Give me, give me, give me, give me. Now don't get me wrong, James says earlier in in the book of James, if you lack in wisdom, ask for it. There are certain things that God says, yes, ask for it, and I will give graciously. In fact, he says, and we'll see it in a little bit, you don't have because you don't ask. And then there's the other side of that. Say so you, you don't get because you're asking for your own selfish desires. But check your prayer life. Are you spending more time? God, give me this. Because if you give me this, then I can give you some of that back. 
That's what I'll do with it, okay? Give me the bigger house and I'll entertain more people. I'll hold a Bible study at home if you give me the big house, right? Maybe that's just me. Maybe you've never had that thought, okay? Maybe it's just me. So we're family. Let me take off the mask. Let me take off the facade, right? Had something in my life where I realized God is richly blessing me with something, and I'm so excited for it. I'm just thrilled, dancing, just enjoying it, like, yes, this is awesome, God, you're going to richly bless me. To a short time later, just down the road, just not very far down the road, it's taken away from me. It's gone, and I'm just decimated. I'm like, can't believe this happened. can't believe God would do this to me. And I end up finding myself in the middle of a field. I'm all alone. There ain't a house around. There ain't nobody around. And I've got my hand up to God, and I'm saying, how dare you do this to me? I can't believe you would do this to me. Two weeks ago, I was down on a missions trip working for you, and this is how you treat me? You offer me this, you're going to give me this, and you take it away? Do you forget who I am? And I wish I could tell you, because I finished my conversation with God. I'm ready to listen. Speak to me. And I really wish I could tell you that this cloud hovered over me and I could hear God speak in a voice like thunder, but that didn't happen. And I wish I could tell you that just a cool breeze came over my face and I could hear God whisper, and that didn't happen either. But it was in the stillness and the peace of my heart that God revealed to me. He said, Kevin, I didn't forget who you were, but I think you might have forgot who I am. And I needed to change my perspective because if I can be honest with you, do we really want what we deserve? If we know Scripture well enough, do we really want what we deserve? Okay? So, in our house right now, one of the biggest games that we play is called uh, Exploding Kittens. And if you've ever played the game, okay, there's, there's this card that you can play, and it's called the Mark card, okay? And this is going to be a play on words. And what happens is when you get the Mark card, somebody gets to take a card and flip it around, so everybody that's playing gets to see the cards that's in your hand. Okay, so right now I feel like I'm playing and somebody has played the Mark card on me. Because if you remember three weeks ago, Mark shared these scripture verses with us. Okay, hey, you're catching it. Mark shared these scriptures. So I feel like the cards that I'm playing right now, there's a couple of them that are facing your way and you've already got to see them. And they're out of the book of Romans, right? Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's you, that's me, that's us. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And then Mark shared the other one. If you read just a few chapters later in the book of Romans, in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus our Lord. Okay, our perspective, my perspective, needed to change. I didn't want to be looking at, and I shouldn't be looking at, the things that God's not giving me, and I should be looking at the things that God is giving me and realizing that I'm blessed. We need to begin to look at the generosity of God in our lives, looking for the things that God has given to us, not what he has not, realizing everything other than death is a direct blessing from God. Hmm. My perspective needed to change. I wish my story being in the field ended there. But about eight years later, I'm walking out to my tree stand because I'm sorry, I like the deer hunt. And I'm in my, I just get up to my, just get up into my tree stand and I sit down and I take my duffel bag and I hang it on the tree and I didn't even have my bow in my hand yet and my phone rang and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. <sighs> really? 
First of all, I'm disappointed that I didn't turn the ringer off, and now not only is it that I'm trompsing through the woods, but now my phone's ringing, okay? And so I got to make a decision. I haul out my phone, and I look at it, and I'm like, ah, it's a friend of mine. Do I answer or do I send it to voicemail? I don't want it to ring again, so I answer it. And as I bring the phone to my ear, I want to say, this better be good, because you're messing up my hunting, right? But I didn't. I just said, in a whisper, yeah, what you got going on? And there's that awkward pause, and I can hear a sniffle. And I'm like, whoo, is everything all right? And another awkward pause. And then the words start to stumble out. And he says, you remember that story that you told me about you being out in the field with your hand and your fist up to God? He said, I'm in the field right now. And I don't know what to do. He said, the only thing I could think of was to call you. And I'm like, grab my duffel bag, throw it on my back, grab my bow, down the ladder stand I go, and I tell him, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to say, but I know who does. Can I pray with you? And so as I literally got lost in the woods, forgot where I parked, too much going on, I find my way back, right? My hunting is over. But I realized in that moment God didn't forget who I was, but he was preparing me for what was to come. Okay? I'm not saying, and I don't want to suggest that God allows bad things or he gives bad things to prepare you, but in the midst of those things, he will prepare you for things to come. All right. James 4, 4 through 6. That was the first two by four. Here comes the second one. Okay? You adulterous people. It's a great way to start, right? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity to, towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to this purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. This adultery is not between a husband and a wife in their marriage, okay? It's not that a husband has stepped out on his wife or a wife has stepped out on her husband. It's us. It's us believers who have stepped out on God. We have realized that God has done something for us and we've accepted the free gift of salvation and then we've turned and we walk away from it and we go back to the lifestyle that he just rescued us from and we dwell over here. And James is like, you adulterous people, do you not understand? It's that vicious cycle of that battle in our lives warring over and over and over. And our mindset be, be, becomes the world has more to offer than what God does. I'll do it myself. I'll do it my way. My plans are better than God's. Verse 5, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. This isn't that he's jealous for us or he's jealous of us. He's jealous of the spirit that he has given to us, the Holy Spirit that is living in us. He is jealous for it. John Piper tells of this story, so this isn't mine. This is, I stole it from John Piper, which is a great place to steal things from because he's, he's very good. But he tells this story of, of a king's wedding. Okay, So there's this king, and he's a, he rules over this kingdom, and he's a single king, and he wants to get married. 
and he's looking for somebody who he loves and he cares for and he wants to marry. And so he sends out a bunch of his people that are under him and they're looking for someone. And he finds the girl. He finds the, the right girl, but she's a peasant. Not just a peasant girl, but she's the lowliest of peasants. And he tells her, I love you. I want to marry you. And he takes her to the castle, to the king, to his home. And he says, I want you to be able to enjoy everything that I have. What is mine is yours. You may have it. You may use it. You may enjoy it. And she says, I want to marry you. I want to be all a part of it. And they go and they get married. And again, the evening of their wedding, they sit out on the back porch of the castle, right? And they're looking over the entire kingdom. And he says, this is all yours. It's all yours to enjoy. And they go to bed. And in the morning, he wakes up. And the queen is gone. She's nowhere to be found. And he sends out the guards. He says, find her. Where is she? Come back. Tell me where she went. And the guards come back. And they say, king, we found her. Well, where is she? She went back home. She's living as a peasant. She's back here where she started out. We're the peasant. God is the king. And God's standing in his castle going, I just want you to enjoy everything that I've given to you. Why are you living back over there? Everything that I have is yours. In other words, stop eating the crumbs that are falling at the bottom of the table and start sitting at the table and enjoying the feast that God has prepared for you. He is jealous for the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. <clears throat> Couldn't find a good spot to hide this, so. In other words, When we fall back into the sins of our lives, we go back to being a peasant. We have all these sins, right? We have them all. We have a big list of them. And we see them. Now, these aren't, these aren't my sins. They're not your sins. They're just a list of sins, right? And James says, no matter how many sins you've done, you can't out-sin God's grace. Eh? There's more of grace than there is of sin. You can't out-sin God's grace. And then Paul says this in Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? We who continue in the sin that grace may abound by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? In other words, no matter how much I sin, no matter how many I acquire, I cannot out God's grace. No matter the sin, whether you're sitting there going, God can't love me. He knows what I've done. There's no way he can love me. His grace is more than your sin, than my sin, than our sin, than all sin combined. We cannot out God's grace. James 4, 7 through 12. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Therefore, or there, is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, and draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Right? Verses 9 and 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And I want to share this last story with you, and it's found in the book of John 8. Okay, in the book of John, chapter 8. And it's the story of the adulterous woman. And she is caught in the adultery. She is caught in the midst of that sin. And that sin requires that she be stoned. And I'm led to believe that she's taken in her full glory, in her birthday suit before Jesus, and thrown at his feet. And imagine that scene of the weeping and the crying. And guys, if you've ever looked at your wife, if you've ever walked through the door and you've seen her mascara and it's running and you're like, whew, right? Imagine the dirt that would be on her face as it's washed away from the tears that she is crying. She is in her humility before Jesus. And Jesus stoops down and he writes in the sand and he says, he without sin cast the first stone. And it says that the Pharisees that brought her before him, they left from the oldest to the youngest. They left. And Jesus looks at her and he says, has no one cast judgment upon you? She says, no. And he says, then neither do I. Let us forget, or we often forget, let us not forget that there was one person there, one who was worthy to cast the stone. Jesus himself. And he said, I don't cast judgment upon you, but I will exalt you. Repent. If you are caught in a sin, no matter where you are, whether you need to have your perspectives changed today, you're like, man, i got to stop looking at the things that I'm not getting from God, but I need to start looking at the things that he is giving me and realize that they're a blessing and enjoy them. Whether you're gone back to your peasant ways, you've left the castle, you've left the kingdom, you've left, you've left all the good things that God has to offer for you, and you want to come back, and you want to dine at the table and enjoy the feast that God has given to you, Okay? Or whether you realize my sin cannot outsin God's grace. It says that if we repent, if we humble ourselves and we come before God and we seek his forgiveness, that he will lift us up just like he did to the adulterous woman. He lifted her up and said, I don't cast judgment upon you either. He did say, Go and sin no more. I'm going to finish with this, and as I do, Pastor Tom may come up and the worship team and Whoever else uh, is going to come up. James loved the church. He loved the Messiah. So much so that the Pope hated his guts. And an angry mob came to get James. And they grabbed him and they took him up on top of the, the temple. And they played the game that each of us have played at the pool. And they've gone one, two, three. And they threw James off the roof of the temple. And yet it wasn't enough to take his life. 
So the angry mob picked up stones and they stoned him. And again, it didn't take his life. But the angry mob circled him up and they beat him until his lifeless body lay on the dirt. James loved the church. James loved Jesus. So do your pastors. And if you've got anything going on in your life, they would love to meet with you. Whether you come up here to the altar this morning, whether you sit in your own pew, whether you want to meet in the pastor's office, your pastors care for you. They want to walk through life with you. They want you to be the best follower and believer of Jesus that you can be, just like James. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.